the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Has God called you to lead? Whether you've been a leader for years and are looking for new strategies, tools, and encouragement, or you want to explore your call to leadership, Lifeway Women offers training events that equip you to carry out your mission. We offer one-day and three-day leadership training in a variety of cities throughout the U.S. and online. We'd love to have you join us this year. Learn more at lifeway.com forward slash women's events. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Elizabeth Heidman, and I'm here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. Well, it is that time of the year when we start thinking, and maybe you've probably already been thinking about Operation Christmas Child. So we're super excited to have Isabella McMillan with us from um, Operation Christmas Child. Isabella, welcome to the Mark Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And Leading up to Collection Week, which is when you turn in your Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes, we're going to hear from several people that uh, work with Operation Christmas Child or maybe received a shoebox. So um, just be looking out for that at the end of our upcoming episodes. But we wanted to dive in pretty deep this week with Isabella. So tell us about yourself and what you do at Operation Christmas Child, Isabella. Yes, so I have the privilege to serve with Operation Christmas Child as the Speakers Bureau Manager. I have been serving in this role for the last eight years plus. And basically what that means that I get to oversee and work together and serve alongside all of our spokespersons who speak on behalf of the ministry. I train them, coach them, um, schedule them for different events. We have 56 spokespersons on our team, and these are mainly people who have received a shoebox previously in their lives somewhere around the world. And now they go and tell the story of how God used that shoebox in their life to really change them. Um, So that is what I get to do day to day, but I have been a spokesperson myself on behalf of the ministry for just a little over 13 years. And I have been traveling and and speaking on behalf of the ministry myself. That's amazing that there are more than 50 different people who are trained to go and talk about this. That, I mean, like each one of those people represent a lot of different stories and that means probably how many different places do our do your speakers go during a year what's a typical a number of places so just to give you an idea our 56 people they um, are not full-time staff they are students or they have jobs or they are stay-at-home moms and they do about 2,500 speaking engagements in a year wow. with 56 people. So it's pretty impressive what they can pull off with them not even being full staff uh, with us and just really encouraging to see how God is continually calling them to to tell the story of what He has done in their lives. And it's a beautiful picture. I believe it tells best what Operation Christmas Child is when you can hear from a flesh and blood person what God has done in their lives through a simple shoebox gift. And it just makes it so much more personal, too, Mm -hmm. when you think about, oh, this is their story. And you have a great shoebox story. So 
when you were about 13 years old, you know, we know you got a shoebox, but we would love to hear your particular story. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, obviously you can tell by now that this is not a Southern accent, even though I live <laughs> in North Carolina. Uh, I am originally from Romania, so I was born and raised in Romania during communism. So that is actually where my story starts during communism in Romania. And, you know, communism, when we hear that word, it means a lot of different things to people. And we think of history books and what we learned about communism from history books. But let me tell you just a little bit about what it meant for us living through it, because we didn't learn it from history books. We learned it by experiencing it daily. And my most vivid memories uh, of my childhood is just watching my mom and dad huddled up around our little kitchen table and strategizing day after day how they're going to feed us, how are they going to buy shoes for us kids because our feet were growing a little bit too fast. Um, there was just two of us, my brother and I, my brother is three years older than me, so we were a family of four. And when my mom and dad got married, the government sent them basically um, a, a letter that said, this is where you are going to work from now on for the rest of your lives. And this is where you're going to live for the rest of your life. So they assigned them to a little apartment in, in a city in Northwest Romania. And that is where my brother and I grew up. And they were assigned to work in a heavy machinery factory for their entire lives. And that's what they did for their entire lives. So one of the things that communism wanted to strip away from people is decision-making. And this was one of the ways that they have done that. So you did not have access to deciding what you wanted to do in life, where you wanted to live, uh, what you wanted to eat. The government decided how much we could have and how often everything was on portion. And my most exciting memories from my childhood is standing in line for things at the grocery store. So we were assigned to a specific grocery store that was closest to us. Everyone was assigned based on their address. And at that grocery store, I still remember to this day when people would run on the streets, that meant for us one thing, that there was something at the grocery store. So we were trained as kids to put our shoes on as fast as we could and run and get in line. And we knew that whatever they had, we didn't have it. So we were so excited. Those were truly the most exciting parts of our childhood. And then we would stand in these long lines and we would wait and then we would get something. That was always a highlight for us. And so that was part of what communism did, how they controlled everything. We all wore the same clothes. So if you were to go to a store in North Romania or South Romania, and Romania is a pretty big country with 23 million people, literally everyone would wear the same coat, the same color. We all looked the same. They did not encourage an individual to be an individual. And so because of that, we just had to really stay quiet and blend in. That was very important for, for communism to kind of keep us all very low profile. Nobody stand out. But the biggest thing that communism wanted to make sure of is that God's name was not known in our country. And the reason for that was because even the dictator knew that God was bigger than himself. And, and he wanted to make sure that there was no higher authority in, in our entire country that himself the dictator and God would have been in that category. And so he wanted to make sure that God was not welcomed uh, in, in our country. And so because of that, we didn't go to church. We didn't hear about God. We didn't talk about him. We didn't know about him. 
But, you know, I love how God works, that he is not bound by governments and he is not bound by spiritual darkness. He is truly a God who can who can penetrate those kind of boundaries. And he did that in a very, very unique way for us. Now, with my parents uh, working very long hours in that heavy machinery factory where they were assigned to work, they worked 14 hour days every day. So from the time I was three and my brother was six, we were kind of on our own. We were we were those kids who had the key around our neck and we had to do life on our own. And, and I want to make sure that our listeners do understand that that wasn't because my parents were neglectful of us. It's because that's how everyone did life. That's just how life was around us for everyone. And so we became independent very, very fast. And so we would spend our afternoons uh, doing our homework and and we had very clear instructions. We had to eat our lunch, do our homework and then behave. And you know that behaving part got tricky sometimes. And we didn't have toys in the house. We didn't have iPads or TVs or anything like that. Um, So it, it did get tricky sometimes. But it was one of those afternoons when I was seven years old that God broke into our spiritual darkness in a unique way. And that was through a little hidden Bible that we found in the floorboard of our house, on our little apartment. And I will never forget that day when we pulled out this little book underneath uh, the floorboards. And we just noticed that one of the tiles of our floorboards was loose and popped up. So. It was just curiosity that led us there to see what was there. And there was this small hole in the floorboard of our house that our hand was just big enough to fit in and a little black book underneath the floorboards. And when we pulled it out, it was a book that on the on the cover of it, it said the Bible. And we never heard about the Bible before. And we were taught in school that you read every book starting on page one. And so that's exactly what we did. We started reading on page one and we read for the first time ever that God created everything. We have never heard that before. We have never heard that God created us as people and these stories were just so intriguing to us i remember that first day by the time mom and dad came home we were just past the story of noah and just think about what it would look like to read the story of noah for the first time and you're trying to picture it as a child how much water that had to be how big that boat had to be to fit all the animals inside we were just so excited about these stories and we run up to the door and said mom dad look what we found and we were so excited i just remember my dad looking at us with a very very stern look and i recognized that stern look that was the look when we were in trouble And he looked at us and he said, you take that book back where you found it and do not ever take it out again and don't tell anyone what you found in our house. And you see, my dad knew very well that if anyone was to find out that we were harboring a Bible in our home, our family literally could disappear the next day and we could be gone. And so he was very, very much aware of that. And he took that book from us and he put it back. We watched him put it back underneath those tiles and he put those tiles back and we didn't speak about it. Another word in our house. So that is how we were exposed to God's word for the very, very first time. Wow. So Now, from there on, you know, you know how it is when you tell a child not to do something, <laughs> yes. right? And it becomes just a little more exciting. What we knew is that 
now we had this little treasure in the floorboard of our house. We had only three books in our house and we knew them inside out and we wanted to read more of these stories because they were really intriguing us. So my brother and I, we kind of decided that we will come home from school really, really fast and then we will do our homework really, really fast and we'll eat our lunch and then we'll get to this book and we read the next stories and then we'll put it right back before mom and dad would even come home so they wouldn't even know it. And we vowed that we would not tell anyone what we have found in our house. So that is how we learn more and more about God's word and the stories in the Bible, but without really realizing that it was so much more than just a storybook until I was 11 years old in the fifth grade. So this is four years after we found the Bible in, in our home and we have been reading it. And by this point, we have read it over and over and over again, many, many times without mom and dad even knowing that we were doing that daily. And I remember I was 11 years old and I was at school, out in the schoolyard, and one of my classmates comes up to me during recess and he says, hey, Isabella, I want to share a secret with you and I want to invite you for something I have been part of, but I need you not to tell anyone. And so he shares with me that he has been going to this little underground church about a mile down the street from our school. And he has been going there Saturday nights and has been really enjoying it and invites me to go and join them. He tells me that they meet Saturday nights after dark and people who sign up to go, they have to arrive by a schedule. So if I decided to go to let him know, he will tell me what time I will need to arrive because it was very important that we would not draw attention from the outside world. And so people had to arrive staggered. And to me, it just sounded really, really exciting. The way he described it, I never knew what church was. I, I didn't see churches around. I wouldn't know what an underground church is or would look like or what people would do there. And he just told me that it's story time for children. That's all that it was. And that intrigued me because I love stories. And so I went home and I asked my dad if I could go to underground church. And I give you one guess what he said. <laughs> No, he wasn't very excited about it. And I, I got my brother in my court and I told him all about what my friend at school told me. And, and then my brother and I, we just kept asking dad and kept telling him all the details, how my friend has been going for uh, a little over a year now and, and he has been safe and it's really fun and it's just for kids. And so finally my dad said, if my brother goes with you, I can go. And so that is how my brother and I, when I was 11 years old, we started going to a little underground church in communist Romania. And I just remember when we got there, it was uh, just a little house. It didn't, it wasn't actually underground. In my mind, I was thinking underground, we will climb in some kind of caves or something, but it was just a little house that didn't look any different than all the other little houses around. And we got there uh, the first Saturday night, and it was about 12 of us children. And we were sitting in a circle, and the pastor who was there, he would read to us stories. And then after he read stories, he asked us who, what, where questions, and we went home. That was it. There was no prayer. Um, there was no explanation of the stories because this pastor had to be very, very, very careful. So it had to be under this, the disguise of this is just story time for children. All he could do is just pray silently in his heart that God will use 
these stories to to grow in our hearts and and for us to understand that there's a big God behind these stories. And it was just a, a couple months after we started going that one Saturday night, he was reading a story. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, I know this story from somewhere. I heard this story and it just dawned on me. I made the connection that I read this story in that little book in the floorboard of our house. And I raised my hand because I got so excited. And I said, I think I know how this story ends. I think I have this book in my house. And the pastor was a very, very gentle, kind man. And he pulled me and my brother to the side after everyone was gone that night. And he asked us about this book and we told him the story of how we found it. And we have been reading it without mom and dad knowing. And on that day what this pastor did, and I see that very clearly now, I didn't realize it then, he started discipling us. And his way of doing that was by simply saying, I want you to continue to read this book and ask me questions if you have questions, but you cannot blur it out in front of everyone here that you have this book in your house and save your questions after everyone is gone. And I don't think that he knew what he signed up for because I was a very inquisitive child who asked a lot of questions in school as well. And I had a lot of questions from that day on for him. And I remember just going in on Saturdays with a whole array of questions and he would patiently and kindly answer my questions every single Saturday night. And I really started to understand that these are more than just stories, that there's a big God behind these stories. And I wanted to know this God. My pastor was talking about a relationship with this God, and he can be our friend and we can talk to him. And we didn't really understand that fully. But one question was the most important one that I ever asked him. And I was 13 years old when I asked him this question and it changed everything for me. I remember going to this little church. It was late September and it was very, very cold. Now in Romania, it gets very, very cold in the winter. And sometimes winter can be six or seven months long and it is dark and it is cold and we do not have lights and we do not have electricity. And so it can be very, very miserable. And I never, never liked winters. And I remember just going to him and saying, can you help me and teach me how to pray? I kept hearing about this prayer and talking to God, but I never actually heard someone pray. Can you help me know how to pray? Because I really need to pray about something. And he asked me what I wanted to pray about. And I said, well, it's cold outside and it's winter and I really don't like it. And it's really only September. It shouldn't be winter yet. So I really, really don't like it. And by five o'clock, we have to go to bed because it is dark after five. And mom and dad have very strict rules that homework has to be done and we have to be in bed once it's dark. But the only way they let us go outside and play after dark is if it snows outside. So I told him he needed to teach me how to pray because I needed to pray for snow so we can have some fun that winter. And so this pastor sat me down and he taught me as a 13 year old for the first time how to pray. And he just told me that I can talk to God like he's my best friend sitting right there next to me and tell him what's on my heart and he will answer. And I thought, is that all that it is? That's how simple it is. 
And then he told me that God always answers prayers. And that really got my attention because I thought, well, this prayer thing does not seem very hard. And if God always answers prayers, then to me, this felt like winning the lottery because if the maker of the universe who made everything would listen to me and then answer, that is a win-win situation. And I definitely will be praying. And so I started praying for snow and I was so excited. And my pastor told me I could pray while I'm walking home. It doesn't have to be out loud anywhere I am. And I, that's exactly what I did. I just prayed and asked God in the simplicity of a little 13-year-old girl and just told him that I wanted to have some fun this winter and I wanted it to snow and if he could give me snow. And I believed in my entire heart that he will do it. And I remember the next morning, I just ran up to the window because I expected it to be snow outside. And when I ran up to the window, I was so disappointed because there was no snow. And I kept thinking, what did I do wrong? Did I not ask right? Did I not, was I not loud enough? Was I not saying it the right way? I, I kept trying to think, how can I do this differently so that God will answer? But I kept praying and I kept asking God to give me snow. And it was two and a half months later almost, and, and there was still no snow outside. And by that point, I was quite disappointed. And I remember going back to this uh, pastor early in December, and I looked at him and I said, did you know this prayer thing is not working very well? And he looked at me, and I will never forget what he said on that day. He said, Isabella, God always answers prayers like I told you before, but sometimes his answers look differently than what we imagine. And he encouraged me to keep praying and not give up because God will answer. And I thought to myself, okay, God, you have about three more weeks as far as I'm concerned because we were about three weeks from Christmas and I really wanted a white Christmas. So I gave God my little deadline and I locked him in my little three-week box and I told him exactly how he needed to answer my prayer. And Christmas Day came and he did an answer and I was one very, very disappointed little girl. And by that point, for me, this would have been God's way of showing me that he is not just a character on a storybook, but he's truly a living and breathing God who listens to me. And I was not getting that answer. And so I was very disappointed that Christmas. And I remember it was the day after Christmas and we saw people running on the streets. And again, when people ran on the streets, that meant one thing for us. There was something at the grocery store. So we started running and heading towards the grocery store. We were so excited thinking we we're going to get something. But people passed by the grocery store and we were very puzzled by that. And we ended up in the center of our little town and people were shouting, trucks are coming, trucks are coming. And these three little trucks that were lit up pulled in and they opened the backs of these trucks and they were filled with the most beautiful, colorful boxes I have ever seen. We have never seen color like that in our life. And they started to give out these little colorful boxes to all the children who were there one by one. And I will never forget this sweet lady coming up to me with a colorfully wrapped little box in her hand and extending her hand to me and telling me, this is for you. And I looked at her and I said, what do I have to do for this? And she said, absolutely nothing. This is, this is yours 
freely given, just like God's grace is freely given to every single one of us. And I just remember feeling so puzzled, not understanding why would anyone on the streets of Romania give us something for nothing because we never got anything without strings attached. And I looked at this lady again and I said, this has to be a trick. Please tell me what I need to do so I know what I'm signing up for. And she looked into my eyes and she said, is there anything I can pray with you for? And I knew in that moment what I what I needed. And I looked at her and I said, yes, if you would please pray with me for snow, that would be great. And this lady knelt down right there and then with me and, and prayed with me for snow. Didn't ask me why, she just knew in the way I asked that it was important to me. And she prayed with me for snow, gave me a big hug and left me with this beautiful, colorful shoebox in my hands. And I remember looking around and everyone was so excited and children were squealing and opening their boxes and seeing things they have never seen before. And as I start opening up my shoebox, I have seen the most colorful things. I never had colors like that before and new things like colored markers. I have never seen anything like that before. But in the corner of my shoebox was this little silver and blue thing that I really didn't know what to make of. And I pulled out this little silver and blue thing and it, I was holding it in my hand, trying to figure out what is this little thing? And a little boy who was passing me by, he took my hand with his hand and he said, you have to shake it, shake it, shake it. That's how that works. And when he did that, and I looked down in my hand, I saw the most beautiful silver snow inside of a silver and blue snow globe I have ever seen. And I knew in that very moment that God was not just a character on a storybook, but he was a living and breathing God who knows me and who heard me and who heard my prayers. And that was the moment for me that marked my life fully and completely from that moment on, because it was the moment where I understood that God is so much more than just someone that I need to know about, but he traveled those critical 18 inches down to my heart on that day. And I understood that he knows me and he knows my name and he loves me. Yeah. What a great story. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. What a, what an impactful story that is for sure. And I love that how God operates and how he controls every little thing, even that they, the family that packed your box or the child or the adult who packed your box put in a snow globe. Um, because we hear stories like that whenever we talk about Operation Christmas Child, mm -hmm. that the children are praying for one thing. They've always wanted one thing. I think um, in the past we've interviewed um people who wanted a puppy or something like that and they got one and so um i love that god orchestrates that and maybe not a real puppy Elizabeth, yeah, yeah like but, a, you a know stuffed a stuffed puppy, puppy. yeah sure in sure. my head i no. was picturing that and then i realized yeah. i didn't say it out loud yes a stuffed animal. <laughs> um but yes and so i would love to know so those are like the little fillers the extras that i think it's so fun to see God's hand on, but what are some Absolutely. very practical things 
that everyone should or could include in their shoebox as they're packing it. That really helps um, kids and maybe some things that they might not think about, um, but are really special to the children that receive it. What are some items like that? Absolutely. But first of all, while we're listening here to my story and and what God has done in my life, snow globes are no longer allowed. So what I don't <laughs> I want wondered about that actually. Do, we definitely don't want our listeners to run out and buy snow globes because they are no longer allowed. They have water inside of them. I actually was able to find some snow globes that do not have water inside, oh, interesting. but they're very very hard to find. But anything that's breakable or liquid is no longer allowed because Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child they just got smarter in how they do things so that Mm -hmm. we remove every obstacle and we make sure that those children receive the shoeboxes as an instrument of the gospel. So with all that said, you know, do not run out to buy any snow globes. Stuffed puppies, however, not the real ones, uh, they are definitely uh, a beautiful wow item, a stuffed animal. Every child loves a stuffed animal. So one thing I like to say always, pack something that the child would go, wow. I, I We like to call it a wow item, a stuffed animal, a soccer ball with a pump, right? Yeah. You can get the soccer balls that are deflated and, and attach a pump to it. One thing that I have seen and I have learned is that every child knows what to do with a, with a ball, a soccer ball or any kind of ball for that matter. It's an international language. And then put in there things that they might need. So for example, school supplies. Many children around the world cannot go to school without having their own school supplies and a shoebox would allow them to actually attend school and not grow up on the streets and maybe not be involved in gangs and bad things. What a beautiful way for us to uh, to contribute to their education in that way. And then maybe some things that that are just really fun we want these boxes to be so much fun for the children smaller fun things like uh, musical instruments or uh, a yo-yo or maybe even things like a jump rope uh, a sewing kit for girls who are a little bit older Um, really really helpful things that that could um, really help them in in where they are in their environment, like clothing items, a t-shirt or a little dress for for a little girl, uh, socks for boys or hats and mittens. And then just trust that, trust that God has a perfect plan for each of those things. Often people ask me, how do we know if I should put a flip-flop or hats and mittens? Well, we don't know where that shoebox is going to go, but what I do know is that God knows. And he has a perfect plan for that. And then also, I want to encourage people to make it personalized. So write a personal note for that child. It makes them feel so special to know that someone specifically thought of them and is praying for them. One thing that is um, really kind of cool, because I didn't realize that you were from Romania, I sent a shoebox in, gosh, I don't even remember what year it was. It would have had to be like 1998 maybe or something like that and um i sent it and it ended up in romania and i put a note inside and put my address inside because i was about the same age as the person like the the box that i checked for my shoebox to go to wow and she wrote me back and we were pen pals for years and years um and so i got to develop a relationship with someone from another part of the world and so and from then on i always put my um 
or until I like, you know, graduated high school, I would put my address in. And I had one other person. Um, I think she was from somewhere in Africa. I can't remember the specific country, but she wrote me back one time, but we didn't continue the, the writing pen pals back and forth. But um, that is a fun thing to do as well is to so that and you can track your box, right? Absolutely. Yes. And so, so that's really fun. There's a $10 suggested donation that we ask to go with each shoebox. And that really allows us um, to, to, to make sure that every child receives a booklet that we call the greatest gift booklet in their own language. We have this booklet in 95 languages right now. And that goes with the shoebox. So your $10 suggested donation covers that and also all the processing fees, the shipping fees overseas, and also the training of our um, ministry partners on the ground in over 150 countries around the world. So when you uh, take that $10 suggestion and you actually um, contribute that online, instead of doing it in a form of a check or cash that you can send back, we really wanna encourage our listeners to do that online, then you will receive an email telling you where your shoebox went, what country your shoebox ended up in and how beautiful that is. I look at that as an opportunity for us to continue the ministry after we sent our shoeboxes and then pray for that particular country and the ministry that will take place there. Yeah, that's such a great idea. That way you, you know where it's going. So you can, you can be really aware. And when you watch the news or when you hear of things that are happening in that country, you already have that connection with that country. Absolutely. And so I think that's really um, kind of a cool way just to make sure that it's that it's not just you're packing a shoebox for somebody you're never going to meet. Like there is, there is a person that's going to be on the other end of that shoebox and that they need Jesus, that they need a relationship with Christ. And uh, that's such a, I, I think we just tend to, we tend to focus on the shoebox, but really the goal is that we're introducing these children to a relationship with Jesus and just what, what you told us about your story as well. What are some things, Isabella, that people might not know about OCC? Are there some behind the scenes things? Like we mentioned, you know, kind of tracking the boxes, but maybe something that people don't really know much about. Absolutely. So the greatest gift booklet is given to every child. And that's so important for us because it's really the gospel. Just like you said, this is a tangible representation of God's love. It's not about the shoebox and the items. It's that's a tangible representation of God's love. So the children will hear a very clear gospel presentation and will receive the greatest gift booklet in their own language. But even more than that, many people do not know that after children receive their shoeboxes, we invite them to a 12-week discipleship program with locally trained pastors and teachers for a discipleship course we call The Greatest Journey. And this is such a beautiful continuation of a shoebox because we allow those children we're not just going to tell them about Jesus and then tell them good luck figuring it out, but we are giving them an opportunity to be plugged into a local church. And what we are seeing is that even though we did not set out with the intention of, of planting churches, that churches are being planted in the areas where shoeboxes are going. And that is a beautiful picture of multiplication. Yeah. Over 30.9 million shoebox recipients have participated. Wow. 
since 2009 in this greatest journey discipleship program i tried to wrap your head around that and i know that's a lot and 21 of million of them graduated and over 15 million children out of those have given their hearts to christ through that discipleship program now obviously some of them already know jesus when they come or they come to know christ at the time of their shoebox when it is given but over 15 million children have come to know Christ through this discipleship program. So I want to make sure that our listeners hear that it's so much more than just a shoebox. Definitely. And and I think that is so important to remember, even as we're packing them, too, like you said, um, to pray over them because um, it is more than just a shoebox. And you could pray for the kid that will receive your box and pray that for their families as well, because it's going to impact the whole family, the whole community. And um, you can pray for those that will be sent over to lead them in discipleship and those that are already on the ground there doing that work. And so we are so thankful to have you on, Isabella. You kind of already answered our last question. You Mm -hmm. said uh, that's what has marked you deeply in your walk with Christ. And so um, we are so thankful to be able to hear more about your story, about what God is doing around the world through this um, ministry. And so if you would like to pack a shoebox, and we would love for you to pack a shoebox, you can go. We'll have links in the show notes to Operation Christmas Child um, and all of the information that you need to have where you can give the $10 donation so your box will be tracked, all of that stuff. We'll have links to that in our show notes as well as um, just how you can become involved. And so we would love for you to do that. Um, I'm going to have to go and get my shoebox and pack it. <laughs> Kelly. That's right. Oh, I know. To get it together. I, I actually mentioned to my husband right before we got on, I said, Hey, I'm getting ready to do a podcast on uh, shoeboxes. And he was like, that reminds me, I need to go pick up the shoeboxes for the, for our church. And stuff. Yes. So, so it's not too late. And listeners, we would love for, to hear your stories. And Isabella, thank you so much for sharing yours. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you today. Yes. yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on and just so grateful for all the shoebox packers all across the country. We have millions of people who pack shoeboxes, but I, we also have a network of more than 15,000 volunteers, wow. 9,000 of those here in the U.S. and about 6,000 worldwide. So these people are also serving around to carry out the project. And thank you for being part of that. Thank you for packing shoeboxes and for allowing the gospel to spread to the very ends of the earth. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, listeners, we hope that you will join us again next week. And we will, Elizabeth and I will be back with another great interview. Bye. As you just heard, Operation Christmas Child delivers great joy and the good news of Jesus Christ to children in need around the world through gift-filled shoeboxes. Operation Christmas Child collects more than 10 million gift-filled shoeboxes each year and distributes them to boys and girls in over 120 countries. And in the hands of local churches around the world, shoeboxes become a tool for evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. You can go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC to learn how to pack a shoebox. 
You can purchase a shoebox through their website or just use your own from your closet. You can get your label on the website and decide what gender and age group you're packing for. Then you can fill it with gifts. But the most important step, as you've heard, is praying over the shoebox for the child who will receive it. Donate $10 to cover shipping costs and then drop off during National Collection Week, which is going on right now until November 21st at your nearest location. And there are over 4,500 drop-off centers across the country, so you can find the closest one to you by entering your zip code on the website. If you don't have time to pack a physical shoebox, you can now pack a box online through the Build a Shoebox online program. Virtually pack your shoebox and choose what gifts are included. And those shoeboxes will go to countries that are closed to the gospel. They're literally taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and you can be a part of it. Again, you can go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC and we'll have the link in the show notes as well. We would love for you to join us in sharing the gospel through shoeboxes this year. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag marked podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye.